0: it's that time of the week again it's time for chit chat across the pond this is episode number 711 for january 10th 2022 and i'm your host allison sheridan this week our guest is bart bushatz back with programming by stealth 133 of x how are you doing today bart
1: i am doing good um it's uh it's been a long day but it's you know hey it's been productive it's a fun so happy we birthday we get oh we
0: get to make Thank the joke again
1: much. uh and what is your what is your age Well, I I now know the answer to life, the universe, and everything, having just turned 42. (laughs) Do you feel wiser? (laughs) I don't know. I'm going to see if I can get away with using that in arguments. Well, no, no, I'm 42. I know the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Yeah,
0: for the next year, you're going to be insufferable, right? (laughs)
1: I don't think it'll last, but we shall see how far I get with this theory of mine.
0: All right, well let's get started. I've uh, we're, we're trying a new process where I actually read the show notes and ask questions ahead of time. So I sound less like an idiot and we derail the whole class a little shorter. I'm still sure I'll still do it, but hopefully a little better than we have been in the past.
1: Well, we shall see how we go. So this is the first show of 2022 as we record this. But of course, people listen to the back episode. So hello from the future. Um, <laughs> God no, Or no, hello from the past. Hello to the future. Um, but as we record this, it's a start of the year. And so I'm going to start by just giving, taking a little step back and looking at where we are. So we're heading towards the rewrite of Crypt colon colon HSXK PassWD from Perl into JavaScript. And so to do that, we had six tasks to do to get ready. We had to learn ES6 modules, which we have done. We had to learn enough Node and NPM to manage our dependencies, which we've done. We had to pick a linter, which we've done. And a big thank you to superb guest lecturer Helma. Thank you. We had to choose a document generator and learn how to use it, which is JSDoc, along with the doc-theme. And then we needed to pick a test-driven development platform and learn how to use it, which I am now marking that one as work in progress. And then we have to choose a bundler, which is the only thing marked as to do. So TDD I am marking as work in progress because I have decided which one is the least imperfect. (laughs) (laughs) We're, We're just, I think we're like six months too soon. Mm-hmm. So I do not want to do old fashioned javascript modules. I want to do ES6 modules. And the test frameworks haven't quite caught up yet. Hmm. So one of the so the contenders were QUnit, Mocha, Jasmine and Jest and one of them has native support but it's still marked as experimental. But it does work cuz I've tested it. So Jest is our answer now. Mocha, Jasmine and Jest are all related to each other. Mocha is like the OG, and they sort of invented a new style of syntax, which is very descriptive, very human-friendly descriptive syntax. But that project is languishing a bit. So Jasmine took up the mantle, um, and someone then forked, actually Facebook, forked Jasmine to make a very up-to-date, very modern version called Jest, and so... As much as it pains me to say, the open source people at Facebook are doing an amazing job of maintaining Jest and keeping it up to date. It is the most alive of the three of them. And it has the really nice syntax that Mocha invented, that Mocha brought to the world. So I think it is the right answer. And the nice thing is, because it's using the Mocha-style syntax, we haven't really ruled ourselves too far out of changing our mind, sort of. So Jest is it's not owned by facebook in any
0: way it's just they're they're driving a lot of the development
1: it's well, they, okay so in the same it's is firefox owned by mozilla it's open source and anyone can do anything they want with it but they're the people doing 99% of the coding
0: yeah well okay well if it's the same kind of relationship as as that then that put- makes
1: me queasy it's probably not quite that's that's probably too strong. It's so it's somewhere between there and they just point at it from time to time. Okay. Um I mean it is fully open source, right? It is okay. completely totally and utterly open source and it's on GitHub. So So uh,
0: you taught us QUnit, unit uh what's now hundred years ago for us, but the speed readers may be getting here faster. Um it's how is it fundamentally different or is
1: that that's probably a conversation for another time. You get a lot to do. The syntax is a million times Way less typing for the same tests. Oh, okay, good. (laughs) So that's what caught my attention because I found writing the Q-unit tests an absolute chore. Yeah. And just looks like it will be much less painful, therefore much more likely to happen. Okay, all right. (laughs) (laughs) To be blunt, you know.
0: Yeah, that is what we're looking for. It's like, do you you pick the the perfect gym that's 30 miles from your house or the pretty good gym that's right next to your house? (laughs) Bing,
1: bing, bing. So I figure, okay, so the syntax is really beautiful, but it is, it uses all the, Lego bl- all the Lego blocks we know about, right? They haven't invented new JavaScript. It is ES6 JavaScript. It is by the book JavaScript, but they have chosen to assemble the Lego blocks in very unusual ways that result in code that reads like English, but does things in unusual ways. And so I think before we look at Jest, I think we need to remind ourselves of some of the JavaScript Lego blocks that Jest is creative with, (laughs) right? Because how do I describe the creativity if we've forgotten, because we haven't looked at it in a year, the actual Lego blocks that it's been doing cool things with? Okay. So, and then simultaneously to that thought occurring to me, I was also watching our wonderful Slack community over at podfee.com forward slash Slack, And there were a few things in the community that I just sort of pinged me as like, okay, people are a little bit confused by this. So I'd like to give a little bit more guidance around some things people are finding confusing. And then do a refresher on some of the concepts that Jest is going to build on. Okay. And I thought it would be one show, but it's two. Um, And,
0: And this one show is pretty full.
1: And this one show is pretty full, yeah. Okay. Um, so so what we're going to do in total between the two shows is we're going to clear up some confusion in, in NPM around the difference between NPM install and NPM CI. We're going to have a little bit of a look at some more guidance around using JS doc on what tags to use when, especially when dealing with plain objects, which are the most complex. Oh, well, they're data. not confusing for me at all, Bart. No, not even slightly. <laughs>
0: we spent 30 minutes trying to unconfuse Allison before we started. So <laughs> and greatly improved the show notes. Okay.
1: Right? That is that is a key point here, right? The output is better show notes, right? That is remember, that is your function here, right? That okay. is that is your role in this endeavor here is to stop me being away in the clouds. Okay. Bring uh, then I want to do a refresher on how we define functions, uh, paying special attention to a special type of function we have not used a lot, which is the wonderful arrow function. And then a quick reminder of how function chaining works, because just chains functions like it's going out of fashion. Hmm. Um, and then next time, we're going to look at a very... Okay, a function can return anything... Uh, and we can use, so a function can return any value. And in JavaScript, functions are values. So you can pass a function as an argument. It's called a callback. It's just a function as an argument. You can have a function that returns a function. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you can call a function that immediately calls the function returned by the function. <laughs> Good. Which is a little bit head exploding, but very powerful and something Jess does very cleverly. And I want to look at that with a nice, easy example that isn't confusing before we move on to doing it with Jest, because I don't want to teach two things at once, because then the two will get all mushed together, and we know how that ends.
0: Yeah. Right. Okay. So there's six things we're going to go through. We're going to do five of them today. So four. Four. Oh, four. okay. I'm already okay,
1: describing next time.
0: Okay. Got you. Yeah.
1: Okay. And then the other thing for next time is getter functions are extremely powerful. And there has been a new trend in JavaScript that I myself have been using for some of my own work outside of Programming by Stealth because it results in really human-friendly syntax, but it's a bit weird, right? Entirely in keeping with the rules, I just don't think it's what they thought we'd do with it. (laughs) I don't think the person who wrote JavaScript thought we would get this creative, but it results in a very cool style of programming. So I want to look at that style with a very simplistic example. And then we're ready to go into Jest so that we don't, you know, tire ourselves into knots. Okay. So let's kick off with the NPM stuff, because that's hopefully nice and easy. So we have seen both NPM install and NPM CI in the various examples. Um, And so I want to disentangle people's potential confusion about them. So package.json is where all of your node-related information goes. And among that information are the list of the modules that your code depends on. So if your code needs, um, say, moment.js, then you would have it in there as a dependency. So when you open a folder that has a package.json file in it and you want to start using code, you need to go and fetch your dependencies. Right. And pop them into a folder called uh, node underscore modules. And there are two files that control node underscore modules. So package.json specifies the rules. I need blah, at least version blah. I need this other blah, at least this other version. And package-lock.json says, I have installed exactly this version and it also records the exact version of every dependency of the dependency right because if you install if you install moment it might need other things so it may actually go and fetch 20 packages when you install one package so package-lock.json captures the exact versions of everything
0: right right
1: so you will find yourself in a scenario where you have a folder that contains the code you want to run that contains package.json and package-lock.json but doesn't yet have any actual dependencies installed because there's no node underscore modules folder. This could have happened because you downloaded the installment zip file. This could have happened because you cloned a Git repository. In fact, they're the two most likely reasons it happened, right? You, you've Because you, people don't send the dependencies. If I'm giving you my code, I'm not going to give you a copy of every dependency because instead of me sending you a couple of kilobytes, I suddenly end up sending you potentially massive megabytes.
0: And you don't put those dependencies, you don't put those in version control,
1: correct? Correct, because why should I version every package? You the call to
0: it in the package-lock.json? The The
1: package-lock, yes. Both of the files, so package.json and package lock, both of those are in source control. So you have captured the information, but you haven't duplicated JS doc, for example, right? Why would I keep a copy of all of JS doc in my repo? Right, 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 right. That makes sense. Yeah. So depending on why it is that you are starting, that you need to create a fresh uh, node underscore modules folder will depend on which of those two commands is the appropriate one because it just it just alters what it is you're doing. So scenario one is you have gotten code from somewhere else, you know, from the zip file or from a Git repository, and you now want to bring that code alive exactly how it was when the person who gave it to you created it so you want to be exactly where okay not not just me not just the whoever.
0: range of of versions of the uh, of the dependencies but this is exactly how i had it when i did it
1: exactly okay. and so the command for that is npm ci which is short which is a, a shortened version of clean install
0: i don't know why that didn't stick when you said, you, I'm sure you said it when you taught it to us, but when I was, con, I was one of the people confused in, in our Slack community, and when I read it in here, I'm like, oh, clean install. Done. That's going to clean install. That's going to put everything in fresh. It's going to go get it. Exactly. It's going to put all the modules in that I
1: need. Exactly. Okay. And it is going to read package-lock.json and obey it completely, and it is not going to touch... Package.json. Okay. So nothing changes in terms, of, so you get exactly what I had and none of the files get changed.
0: And you're going to tell us when we do
1: that versus the other method. Right. So that, so that's scenario one. Someone else's code, you just want to get it like it was. Right. So scenario two is it's my code, right? I am, I am in charge here. This is not something from an example or something from someone else's repo. It's my code. I'm in charge. Well, what am I trying to do? Becomes the second question, right? It's my code. Okay, great. Now what? So if it's my code, then there are actually four different scenarios. I have taken a copy of my own code from my own Git repository on a new machine, and I want to pick up exactly where I left off. Well, that's exactly the same as scenario one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, I am. i right. So like else. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right.
1: That makes sense. Scenario two. You're starting fresh. You have a completely empty folder. Well, then you just install what you need as you need it. NPM space install space minus minus save whatever it is. Right? You're not installing something from package.json. It's a new project. There's nothing in package.json. So when you do NPM install minus minus save, you are writing into package.json what you need, and also package-lock what you did. Okay. Okay. And the what you need will be expressed as the current version and higher, but don't upgrade the major version. So remember, we have the three dot notation. Uh, So you have major dot minor dot patch. Yes. So in Semver. In Semver is exactly what I mean. Uh, And so in NPM uses Semver. NPM requires you use Semver. And so NPM's default behavior is unless the major version changes, I'm perfectly happy to upgrade. Mm -hmm. But if the major version changes, I need you to tell me it's okay. Okay. Because the whole point of major versions is they are allowed to introduce breaking changes. So that shouldn't happen without, you know, you doing something. Will you know when you need to do that? Will it barf at you? Oh, you you will make a proactive choice, right? It'll be like, we're going from...
0: Will it tell you, well, no, you can't actually go to the latest version because that's a breaking change. Therefore, you need to do it manually.
1: It, not in those words. What okay. it will do is it will say you're at the highest version that's available to you. Okay. But it will list that there is a so you will it, you can do NP, I think it's NP, npm. There is an npm command to show you the state of play, and it will list the most what you what you the most recent you're accepting, the most recent that exists, and then you'll see basically ah okay. So I'm saying I want two point anything, and there's a four point something. Okay, I guess. And then you then you have to go read the manual right because yeah. it's a major version change why did they why do they choose to go to 4 and what's going gonna to gonna break right? on my end when I do that Yeah I mean think about it going from bootstrap 4 to bootstrap 5 that shouldn't happen by accident <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly okay And that is what that is what it means to go from a major version So that's scenario 2 so you're starting fresh you just do npm install minus minus save uh, you have a project that already has some stuff, and you need to add an extra dependency. Well, that's the same as starting fresh, right? So it's just npm space install space minus minus save, so that will update your package and your package lock. Okay. Then five is okay. I have existing dependencies, and I want to bring them up to the latest version that is allowed under the current package.json. So assuming that you, um, assuming that You're happy to just go with, you don't want to do any breaking changes. You just want to go with the latest available without any major version shifting. You just want to roll forward safely. It's npm space update. Oh, okay. Okay. If you want to be risky, you must open package.json in your favorite text editor, change the version number and the first of the three dots to the scary new one, (laughs) save package.json, and then run npm update. Cross your fingers. Cross your toes. Touch wood. Okay, all that stuff. Okay. Because then package.json has a new rule, so when you do npm update, it'll read package.json and go. All right, then off we go.
0: I'm never doing that, part. <laughs> do it's very rare, Alison. Okay, it's good. very
1: rare. If a, if code is old, it might happen, but it's very rare. Okay. So now let's quickly look at the most important JS doc tags. So. There are a lot of jsdoc tags and there's this old cliche about the 80/20 rule. Well, I suggest for jsdoc it's the 95/5 rule. Oh good. 95% of the time, 5% of the tags will do what you want. Nice. Right? And always remember that it's any documentation is better than none. So don't be par- don't be too paranoid about well what if this isn't the perfect documentation? Well, you've anything you write is worth doing. If a year from now you have the skills to write better documentation, great. But don't feel bad. Just get capture what you can and don't don't stress about it would be my first thing. And another thing I would say is complicated long comments are not necessarily better than simple things. Okay? <laughs> Right, and the more human-friendly your variable names, the less cluttered English you should be splattering around the place. If you if you name your function something like cube, and you name your argument num, do you really need to write this is a function which takes a number and cubes it? Okay. Right. So so the more Englishy your variable names are, the less you need to write big, flowery descriptions. And the advantage of writing less is that when you're scanning through a page, there's much less noise.
0: Yeah. So when I was... uh, Before they started letting us have 280 characters on Twitter, I would spend a lot of time... I would write out what I wanted to say and then craft it into something that still made sense in half as many characters. So it seems like I would be likely in this case to say, this is a function that's going to take an input and then it's going to multiply it by itself three times. And then later on, go back and go. Cubes the input.
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty much.
0: So it's 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 um, good to prune your stuff back to the minimum that is still clear.
1: Yeah, because actually it's clearer. Yeah, right. Because you're gonna you're not you don't read documentation with 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 a cup of tea and you know as if it's a good book. You read <laughs> documentation because you have a problem to be solved, and what you don't want is noise to have to wade through. Yeah, and that that sort of gets to my second key point to always, always, always bear in mind. The whole point of the exercise here, the reason you're doing any of this is to help future you. So you should always keep in mind, what is it I need to tell future me? That should be your focus. Your focus shouldn't be what is is the most perfect documentation? It's what do I need to tell myself or another user? But let's just pretend it's only yourself who uses your code because other people are just like you. So just... Bear in mind that that is the aim here. The aim here isn't to write as much as possible or to use as many fancy tags as possible. The aim here is to communicate with future with future you whatever it is future you needs to know. Okay. And that actually changes how you deal with things. So for the big picture items, right? So you have a bunch of code and it contains one or two modules and one or two classes. For the modules and the classes, it's not about using lots of tags. For the modules and the classes, it's about saying, what is this? I have written a module. Why? Okay. Right? It obviously represents a concept or a collection of related functionality. There is something it 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 you know it it does a thing. Describe the thing. It's probably based on some assumptions. Put those in. Right? Okay. If you've if you've made assumptions, like I assume that, you know, all times are in the future okay, well, that's probably worth knowing. So write that to yourself because you might forget you've done that.
0: You know where I think this is going to gonna help me is if I if I think through that and I say, okay, uh, I'm going to have this uh, parameter come in and it's supposed to be a number. If I put that in, then I'm more likely to go, huh, how do I know it's a number? Ah, better throw an error if it isn't. And that that's where I never, that's the thing I never do. I, I don't think about what if it's not. What if it turned into pancakes on its way in and all of a sudden nothing works and I don't know why?
1: Yeah. You know, and it, it, the documenting definitely, definitely helps with
0: that. I, I'm, I'm pretty good uh, at the paragraph part at the beginning.
1: It's, right, it's okay, everything I, below So that. the paragraph, <laughs> okay, so just, just sort of the finish point. So the paragraph, any assumptions you make and also any abstractions that you're, you're, you're building your stuff around, right? The concepts you're using to design this thing. What do you mean by abstractions? Well, the chances are, if you're writing a class to represent, say, the time of day, you're probably saying, yeah, I'm I'm going to assume hours, minutes, seconds, that I'm not looking at milliseconds, and I'm not using times that are not the Western style. Oh, okay. I thought by abstractions,
0: you meant like a second layer deep abstraction.
1: Uh, I mean, look, I'm being really generic here, right? Okay. Because your code could be anything. Yeah, okay, got you. (laughs) Um, So... For the big picture stuff, to be honest, the most likely tags you're going to need are at link and at C for the purpose of pointing at the outside stuff. Like, I'm implementing ISO bloody blah, at link, Wikipedia page for ISO bloody blah, or at C, ISO bloody blah, right? For the big picture items, really, your at link and your at C kind of has you covered. It's for the smaller items that the details are what matters. And so for the smaller items, that's actually where the tags become more important than the English. Okay. Because a lot of the time, the tags kind of capture the important stuff. So if you're documenting either a standalone variable or a property of a class, that's a piece of data, right? You're, You're documenting a piece of data. It's either a piece of data all by itself or it's a piece of data tacked onto something, but it is a piece of data. Well, what you're trying to capture is what is in here, right? It's a box. I'm going to put a thing in there, what is in the box. Okay. Right. And so the tag to tell us what is in the box is at type. Right. So if I make a variable that's going to hold a number, I will write some English to say what it is, and then I will say at type curly number close curly. Okay. In other words, this variable is going to say, in this case, in the example in the show notes, the average duration of a gamma ray burst in seconds, at type number. Okay. Okay. I am with you so far. (laughs) Okay. When you're documenting functions, then there are three things to always keep in your brain. So what goes in, what comes out, and what comes out is actually two things. The return value and any exceptions the thing is likely to throw.
0: Ah, oh, right, right, right.
1: That is an output of a sort. Sure. It's an outcome, right? Yeah. So... And there are three tags for that. The at param tag, you use one at param. At param tags are used to describe each of the arguments your function needs. Okay. So if your function takes one string and one number, at param open curly string details, at param open curly number details
0: okay and and i'm going to use seven arguments i'm going to throw some terminology in that confuses me later but i think i have cemented now because of our earlier discussion when we're talking about parameters those are arguments to the function
1: they are arguments to the function and it is to my eternal consternation that the people at js doc i mean that they had to toss a coin right because within computer science the two words are used Splattered across each oh. other. It just so happens that most JavaScript programmers use the word argument, which is what we've been using it all along. But parameter is 100% synonymous, and that's what they chose. So, hence, it's at param. So, that it is anyway, it is what it is. OK, but it helps. The me other to say easy those ones, are easy
0: synonyms right? because we're going to start talking that way in a minute.
1: Exactly. So, at returns then is a the nice, easy, simple tag for describing what comes out of a function. Mm-hmm. Right. So, at params are your inputs. At returns is the traditional output. Return, bleh. Okay, well, what is it? Is it going to be an array? Is it going to be whatever? Then the last one is also well-named. At throws for what errors this thing could throw. And you should always put the error type in curly brackets because your function might throw multiple types of error. Okay. You could have a function that throws a type error if you give it the wrong arguments and a range error if you give it, you know, I wanted a number, you gave me a number, good on you, but uh, I wanted one greater than zero and you gave me minus 42. So, range error. Okay. Or you told me to go and do something on the 45th of July. <laughs> range error. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, there are different types of error. So, in the curly, say what type of error it is you're throwing. Uh, and so, you see the example there. We have a function called cube that takes one argument named n. And it returns a number, which is that number cubed. And it could throw an error, a type error, if you don't give it the right argument. So we have our English paragraph, cube a given number. At param open curly number n, the number to cube. At returns number. I could put some English in there, but do I really need to say the number cubed? I don't think I do. Right, right. right this is an example of me being short. At throws type error. A type error is thrown when invalid arguments are passed. So that captures all three things. What goes in, what comes out, and what errors I might throw at you. All right, I'm with you to now. Okay. So this works great. Everything I have said now is this is our 95%. We're already at 95%. If you learn nothing more today, it has been a success. There is a subset that is the most difficult of it all. What if my variable doesn't hold a number doesn't hold a string, what if my variable holds an object? I now have to say more than that. B- I can't wait, just by say... by
0: variable, you mean the thing that we're describing in the JS doc?
1: Correct. So, okay. I, so like our example, let average OBG duration equals 42. That is a variable that is holding a number. Okay. Well, what if my variable needs to hold an object? Okay. If I just say at type object, that is factually true. Mm-hmm that is not really useful information to future me, because the very next question future me is going to ask is, can you make that jump a little bit higher? Yeah,
0: otherwise, I'm going to be saying, OK, thanks. So it's not a Boolean.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. What exactly do I put in here? You know, What keys are you expecting? Do you have, you know, do you insist I have a specific key? Or can the keys be some sort of specific class of thing? What are the values? Mm-hmm. Like, Help! Yeah. (laughs) Right? So everything from now on is just to answer that question. How do I describe what it is I mean when I say object? Okay. And what makes me so cranky at the designers of JS Doc is that that same problem has two solutions. If I'm describing a value, as in a variable or a property of a class, so if I'm describing a box where I put something... I use one set of tags. And if I'm describing what it is a function wants from me, I have to use different tags. So this is a box where some stuff can go, and I'm describing what's in the box, I use one set of tags. I demand you give me this as an argument, I use a different set of tags. Okay. And I don't know how to describe those. I don't I I wish I didn't have to make this arbitrary d- distinction. But it exists, and I have to. <laughs> okay. So before we get into the distinction, let me just say that regardless of whether you're trying to describe something that is in a box or something you demand be passed to a function, there are three types of object to consider, right? Unambiguously, an object can be an instance of a class, right? If you make an object by saying, you know, object whatever equals new date or object whatever equals new Time shifter clock. Mm-hmm. If you've written the time shifter clock class, right, that is an instance of some class, and the way you document it is beautifully easy. The name of the class is the type. So open curly, name of class, close curly, done. So, in um,
0: in your so you example, ha- you you don't say type,
1: right? Because I'm describing a function. This is this is where we get to the annoying parts. <laughs> so because I'm describing a function, I have to use at param, not at type.
0: Okay, so then what was type for? Type was only- Type is for
1: variables. So var my date equals something would be at type date. Function start of day needs something called D. Well, what is D? I need to say that I need you to give me a date. That's what at param is for. Right? I am describing what this function needs as an input is at param. Oh, right. I am describing what is in this variable is at oh, type. Oh, got right,
0: right, 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 right. Got it, got it. Okay, it's back. It slips out real I, I, quick. I don't
1: blame you, Alison. I, I do not blame you. This is needlessly complicated because of the way they designed JS doc. Okay. So if it's an instance, it's easy. Just the name of the class is the is the thing that goes in the curlies, right? That is, the thing in the curlies is the type expression, to use our fancy puns terminology, and the type expression for an instance of a class is the name of the class, job done, nice and easy. If it's not an instance, then it's a plain object, but plain objects aren't all alike. Now, we are now venturing out of the world of JavaScript syntax, because the syntax for a plain object is the same no matter what you store in the object. But in terms of describing what you want, there are actually two different ways you can use key value pairs. Okay. It's a philosophical difference, not a, not a syntax difference. Okay. So if I need from you five pieces of information that describe a thing, then I need a specific key with an appropriate value, another specific key with another appropriate value. So let us say I want to receive from you the coordinates of something. Then I'm going to. Then I need to say I need you to give me an object with a key named latitude that is a number, and I also need you to give me a key named longitude that is also a number.
0: Okay, so they they can't be different things. I can't give you the square root or called square
1: root. Right. If, if you give me a key waffles. I am going to throw a type error at you, most probably. Right. That's what I do if you give me garbage, right? Right, I'm right. A good programmer.
0: Okay, okay. I, right.
1: right. So that, if yeah. you give me a key called longitude with the value waffles, I am also going to be cranky. So is because the, I want. Is there a, a name
0: for this kind of uh, plain object keys in yes. the terminology of JS Doc?
1: Yes, they are, and not just JS Doc in general. These are referred to as records. Okay, but a record so isn't a—that's not a
0: JavaScript term. That's a documentation. It's not a JavaScript kind of
1: term. It's even more generic. Okay. A record is a dictionary where there are rules on what the keys are.
0: Okay. So LDAP would be a good case where you're looking up. Oh, somebody, brilliant! Yes. You're looking up somebody. It's going to be their name and their location and their phone number and their IP address. Maybe. Correct.
1: That's what's stored. And in there. fact, LDAP is a brilliant example, right? Because in LDAP, your first name has to be the key. Given name, lowercase g, capital n. It has to be a string. Okay. Okay, There's good. an attribute for your different aliases for your email address, which has to be an array of strings. Okay. Called proxy address. Okay. Lowercase p, capital A, right? So that's a record. A perfect. That, example. that makes
0: sense as a record to me. Okay.
1: Got it. Then that's your analogy to keep in your head. Okay. So with a record, the keys are specified. You must give me a key with this name, and it must have this value. All right. Right. It must be a string. It must be a number. It must be. Right? Okay. And we call the those other records. type of we call those records okay the other type of plain object is where the key is one group of things and the value is a different group of things but there's a connection between the two okay so we refer to those as mappings because you're okay. mapping say the day of the week to the average sales okay so the keys are the day of the week and the value is the sales
0: okay but it doesn't have to you don't have to always give me day of the week or sales
1: well okay but it, okay we are saying I demand you give me an object where all the keys are days of the week it doesn't have to be monday
0: oh, oh, all of them are days of the week oh, okay
1: yeah right okay. i need you i need the keys to be days of the week and i need the values to be numbers or if it's a mapping between days of the week and my feelings it could be like a mapping from day of the week to emoji or you know day you know so frowny face for monday etc right okay So if you need people that basically give you some sort of relationship thing to other thing, that's a mapping. And so the keys could, the keys are not predefined, but there are rules, right? So you could have a mapping of English words to French words. Well, then the keys are going to be treated as English words. So your documentation should say, right? Okay. The keys are English words and you need to tell me what they map to in French. Okay. All right. Right. The keys that's could that's be a really the names good example because
0: I was starting to get conflated back into
1: LDAP for a minute, but uh, okay, I got you. Okay. So the keys could be the names of galaxies in the new general catalog and the values could be their magnitude. Okay. So that would be NGC4321, 8.5. Okay. right. I've made that up. I don't know if that is <laughs> <laughs> magnitude, but you get the idea. Okay. Right. So, and a lot of, right. If you're getting confused at this point, then I would say fall back to English, right? So don't stress too much about your... So you could basically say, I want string to string or string to number and then rely on the English to be more detailed. If you're feeling adventurous, this is the most common place where you're going to make use of the ability to define custom data types. Okay. So you can define a data type named weekday aber for weekday abbreviation and then say, I want my keys to be weekday abbers, and I want my values to be numbers. Okay. But you can achieve the same thing with English. So as your comfort level goes, so should go your code.
0: All right. And don't be offended if somebody else goes in and and makes it cooler like this.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Okay. So for a mapping, the syntax is the word object followed by a period, followed by an open angle bracket, your type description for the keys, comma, your type description for the values. So object.string, comma, number says, give me some strings that map to some numbers. Okay. Right. Object string, comma, string would be give me some strings that map to some strings. And again, you would rely on the English above it to, to, to make that leap a little higher. Or the second example in the show notes, I create my own type called weekday abrev. And then I say, I want my object to be weekday abrev common number, because it's average sales per day of the week. And and, So therefore the keys are weekday abrevs. Oh,
0: and you created a typedef as a string weekday abrev. Okay. Exactly. The, these two examples are really good visually. By the way, for those uh, those listening, if you're not following along in the show notes, which that's crazy that people do that. Um, but in his in the object dot string comma number, he had zero colon z e r o colon zero o n e colon one. That was so that was string comma numbers in the object, and then in the one with weekday aberv, it's m o n colon forty two because of course it is.
1: Yeah, okay. exactly, and. Um, Uh, So my English description on the first one was a mapping of number names to their values. So zero colon the digit zero. Mm -hmm. That is a mapping of number names to their values. Okay. Okay, so I'm not going to, that's now not broken in your head, so I'm going to stop talking. (laughs) 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 I just took a drink of water right when you said that. (laughs) Sorry about that. Stop now. So now let's look at, okay, so now let's look at the more defined case, right? Records are more strict, right? Because we have to actually say for each key, we have to be we have to say, I need this key and it should do this. I need this key and it should do this. So if your records are short, you can get away with the shortened syntax, which is an extra open curly, right? So this open curly isn't the bit around that type, which is why in the actual example it's open curly curly, right? The inner curlies are saying I'm defining a record. And then it's the name of the key, colon, the type, comma, the name of the next key, colon, the type. So I have an example variable called best coffee. And it is going to, it it has two keys. The first key named latitude, which is a number. And the second key named longitude, which is a number. So that's at type curly curly latitude, colon, number, comma, longitude, colon, number.
0: So those aren't. Latitude and longitude aren't parameters to best coffee.
1: No, because best coffee is a plain object, which has two keys. Right, 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 right. Okay, okay, right. Gotcha. So that's fairly straightforward. But if I start adding more and more and more keys, that's going to scroll off the page. Right? That type definition would get... Ungainly. Yeah, that that little at type tag there is going to get longer and longer and longer and longer and longer. That's not going to scale. Mm -hmm. So that's why the at property tag was invented. So you say at type object, and then for every key, you add an at property tag.
0: Oh, I meant to say property when I asked before about latitude and longitude. This is what I meant. Because a property is something that's sitting inside this thing that we're describing. A parameter is, is a required something to come into it.
1: If you're looking for a synonym it's key. Property synonym key. Mm, that doesn't help me. Uh but <laughs> Okay, but the key we used to key value pairs. So the key is latitude, the value is 53. point whatever. But you could the have key a, long you could have a
0: property that is not a key value had to do with a key value pair.
1: Not in a plain object. Plain objects are key oh, value yeah, pairs. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: So What we're doing here is we're listing every key we need with an at property tag. We say what it should be, we give it its name, and then we give it its English. So at property number latitude, the latitude in degrees. At property number longitude, the longitude in degrees. At property string name. I didn't bother with any English, because remember my argument about don't write English that isn't needed? Mm. It's pretty darn obvious what name is.
0: Because in this case, his example is constant best coffee, he gives latitude longitude, and the name is Papa Coffee.
1: It is. You'd love Puppa Coffee. They have a little thing where you can scan a yoke to donate to a dog charity. Huh. They're just completely dog themed. There's photographs of their dogs. What's a, what's all over a the yolk? Thing. And they make really good coffee. What's a yoke? Thing. Watch a jigger. Oh. <laughs> Word for generic.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, okay. So I think I follow there. Uh, by the way, one thing of of note in the doc. Um, documentation, the way you're writing it, you said app property, squirrely brackets, number, space, latitude, space, the latitude and degrees. You can put a dash in between latitude and the latitude in degrees. And I am pretty sure that the mm. uh, that the, the linter you chose requires that you have, uh, I'll double check it, but I'm pretty sure it requires I that you have the dash. I believe
1: you are conflating the app param and the app property tags. No. I believe this is an inconsistency. I am. I hope you are correct, and I hope I am incorrect.
0: I am relatively certain. Let me see. Yes, uh, you have to put a dash in with the linter that you chose. So uh, in at property. Uh, ooh, at param you can. There we uh, go. No, but in property uh, yes. also. Property also.
1: Phew. It's, it's, okay, it's optional. Good. Then I will start to.
0: But the but the the linter you cho- the style guide you chose the Google style guide does ask you to put that dash in.
1: No, brilliant! It in it goes. Thank goodness. Okay, I I I thought that was an inconsistency between um, at param and app property. That's actually brilliant. it so may not it may not require
0: now. it, but because uh, I just took one out and it didn't yell at me. But you can. Oh
1: no, it won't yell at you. But it's not required for the other one either. But yeah. gosh darn it, we're it's we're, clearer, I'm gonna make more it more clear. Yeah, you, yeah, absolutely. Do you want there me to go. update Done. the show notes to
0: put the dashes in? Done.
1: Oh, you Done. just did them all. Yeah, I just did the while you were talking. It's like yay! As soon as I was allowed, it's like Yoke! Wow, I wonder how. It's so much did... easier to read that way. How did he do that?
0: I don't no, know how you did read. it that quickly. It would be after the word latitude and before the words the latitude in degrees is where the dash Correct. has to be. Correct. Okay, I'm going to pull your changes. I just don't know how you did that. That quick. I haven't committed them. I'm
1: just saving. Oh, okay. Them. All right. I'm, well, they I'm will not that quick.
0: There will be dashes
1: when we're done. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Now, so. All of that is for how we describe it when it's going into a variable, right? When when we are describing a thing in a box, when we are saying you must give me blah, in other words, we're describing the argument or parameter to a function, Mm -hmm. the problem to be solved is the same, but the the tags are different. Mm -hmm. So we don't use at type and at property. We use at param multiple times. So... We have a function called printLock, which needs to be given a plain object containing the keys latitude, longitude, and name, and we need to describe that fact in our doc .comment. So the first and obvious thing is at param object lock a record representing the location, right? If we learned nothing else, that's in keeping with what we know so far. At param, what is it? Its name minus sign some English. So if that was a number, we would say at param number, whatever, right? Nothing unusual yet. But now we have to describe the keys we demand you give. And we do that by adding another param tag. And in the name, we say lock dot the name of the key we need. So we say, yeah, we want you to give me an object called lock. And. We need lock to contain a latitude, which is a number, and we need it to contain a longitude, which is a number, and we need it to contain a name, which is a string. So we're describing using more, oh God, there's a typo and a half in the show notes. Uh-oh. At param, at param, at param. Jeez, that's terrible. I'm so oh, sorry okay
0: Oh, because the last two, he's, the, as I'm looking at him say at param, at param, the last two say property, and they should all be primed. Yeah, Yeah,
1: that, that was copy, paste, fail. Okay. That's
0: what that was. All right. So
1: that's, that's so, so many shades of fixed. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. So we've got these four parameters. Uh, the, the lock is an object, the latitude. So locked out latitude is a number, Locked dot longitude is a number and lock dot name is a string. Why don't we have yeah. to say we've got a function print lock, which in your description, you say print a location, but why don't we say the type of, about the function? We don't say type function.
1: Well, because functions don't have a type, functions might have an at return, but this function doesn't return anything, and functions might have an at functions throws, have because they might throw something. Come. No. Functions have inputs and outputs, mm-hmm. and they can throw things. So the only tags in play here are at param, at throws, and at return. Now, this is a void function. It doesn't return anything. There's no return statement. Okay. And there's no throws. Okay. Just good, so good to know throw that anything. functions don't... Classes have uh, types no 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 class is no a-, a class is a class uh class oh, is a class, oh, oh, a, function not- is a function
0: but you don't well so for a class you write at class and the name of the class and a description you don't
1: even have to write at class but you can because it will it's in there you can you can if you're making an anonymous class then you have to do that but if you're just writing a normal class class my class equals blah you can just put the doc .comment and JSDoc will figure it all out. Yes, the at class tag exists for when you're writing anonymous classes. Oh, I'm so excited an example I found of, that one and used it. But you don't use it. So oh, it won't, you won't, it won't break anything. Okay. It won't break anything. But it, it's just like you could write at function at the top of every function comment.
0: And, and are they, does that exist in, in JSDoc?
1: It does, absolutely. Because if you want to okay. document in an anonymous function, then you actually have to tell it it's a function. Okay, so anonymous but functions... normally... Are, okay. Normally it figures it out itself, right? If you say class space name of class, it will figure it out by itself. If you say function space name of function, it will figure it out by itself. It's only if it fails to figure it out by itself, you have to start giving it, you know... Okay, it, it might, some it ha- the might help plans. my brain to specifically always do it,
0: just so that I don't...
1: Not... If it works for you, I'm okay. not going to argue.
0: Okay. All right. But it's not now, a it's not a you. Okay. Yeah.
1: I'm going to draw a line under this because it is now quarter it's to nine <laughs> and I haven't even started making dinner, okay. so we do need to move on. So let us now move on to functions, right? So we've already talked a lot about functions. This is very convenient. So we can think about a function as a black box that takes some inputs, does some stuff, produces some outputs, and might get cranky and throw an error, right? That That's kind of what a function is. We can give it zero or more inputs. It can give us zero or one outputs, and it can throw some errors. You can't return five things. You can return one thing or nothing. That's all. Um, You can also... So functions can be data that you throw around. So you can make a function and save it as a variable called whatever you want and throw it around. So they're anonymous functions. And we have used anonymous functions for every event handler we've ever done. Mm -hmm. Because the event handler takes as an argument a function. What do I do when you click? What do I do... Yeah, when you click, when you focus, right? Right. It wants to know what to do, and the what to do is a function. Right. It's a list of instructions. So we already know that there are three distinct syntaxes we can use to write a function. Right? There are function statements, there are method definitions within our class definitions, and there are traditional function expressions. So rather than me trying to describe those in English... I've just put some example ones in code so that you could just remind yourself. So a function statement is the word function followed by a space followed by a name. And then you give your parameters inside parentheses. Then you have a code block. Right. So function cube n return n star n star n. And if you do a console.log cube one, it will print out one. Right. You can copy and paste these either into a Node.js console or your browser console, by the way. If you make a class, you can create functions inside your class, either static functions or instance functions, by saying class my math static cube n return n star n star n cube n return n star n star n. And then you can just, you know, they are now functions. So you can say my math dot cube or const mm equals new MyMath math mm dot cube. And that's the example static. of a
0: method definition in a class.
1: Yeah, exactly. So we have created functions that belong to that class, either as static functions or as instance functions.
0: So it does kind of make so me crazy that you have a static function and an instance method inside of a class that have the exact same name.
1: Yeah, because there are one of them belongs to the class and one of them belongs to instances. So they, they are not the same, as you can see, right? Mymath.cube is the static one. And we need to actually make a new my math by saying my mm equals new my math. And then we can cube it. Then we can call cube. just really want
0: you to have to use two different names. But OK, <laughs> learn something new.
1: If you want to use different names, use different names. OK. Uh, and then the last one is what we have generally referred to as an anonymous function, which is a function expression, right? So you don't say function space some name and then open your parameters. You just say function open parameters, right? It's just straight away function open parameters and then your code block. And so in order to do anything, we have to actually put it somewhere. So in this example, I'm putting it in a variable named AnonyCube, right? Just because I have to put it somewhere, right? Otherwise, it's an anonymous function floating in midair. How do I call that to show you? In reality, of course, what you would do is you would pass that anonymous function as, a, as an argument to something. So the set timeout function takes two arguments, a function and a number of milliseconds to wait. So in this case I call set timeout with my anonymous function that says console.log cube 5 comma 2000 so wait 2000 milliseconds and then do that. Okay. So that's there's our anonymous function as the first argument. Yes, right? Okay, good. So that is a recap of the three ways that javascript has had functions for like ages. And then ES6 came along and we got a whole new type of function These are so-called arrow functions, which you may find on the Googles called fat arrow functions. We're not going to do that, because that's not 2022 appropriate.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah, when we first learned about them, they're called fat arrow functions. But why should you say that phrase?
1: Well, there is a pedantic reason. Okay. So in C programming, it's very common to have the minus sign followed by a, a chevron. And that is referred to as the arrow function. So minus arrow is referred to as arrow. And so any C++ programmer, if you say arrow function, they assume you mean minus sign followed by a chevron. But in the JavaScript syntax, it's an equal sign followed by a chevron. And equals is thicker than a minus. So it's a fat arrow.
0: Okay. You could call it a tall arrow. You could. But
1: thankfully, the C programmers have lost and we've just decided their arrow functions. If you have your JavaScript hat on, it's an equal sign. If you want to put your C++ hat back on, then it's a minus sign again, but that's your problem. (laughs) So that is the reason the the strange word came into being. The other thing about arrow functions is I like to think of them as being function-light. The syntax is really short and they're missing features. So a normal function... Okay, both a normal function and an arrow function get their own scope. So if you make a variable called a inside either a normal function or an arrow function, it's its own a. Doesn't matter if there was another a up on the global scope or whatever, you get your own scope. And that's true for arrow functions and normal functions. But after that, arrow functions don't get any of the features. They do not get a copy, they don't get their own copy of the this variable. They don't get their own copy of the arguments variable. And they can't even use the yield keywords, so you can't use a, an arrow function as a generator function. Not supported. But that's fine, because really we just want them for short little pieces of functionality. And they really are designed to be short. They're designed to allow you to write simple pieces of logic in a way that doesn't take up 50 lines to say almost nothing. So they they really are perfect for event hunters and things.
0: I've not been comfortable with arrow functions, but I actually allowed uh, GitHub Copilot to change one of my functions into an arrow function, and it is okay. three lines long.
1: Yeah, So, but if it wasn't an arrow function, it would be more.
0: Yeah, I think it might be a little heavy-handed with doing it, with because it did that to my uh, to my class also. And I'm queasy about how it looks, but I don't remember what it looked like before it did it.
1: So mm, that sounds like it may be a bit overzealous. That that, yeah. it, that it may have learned it's like from some forty-five people.
0: lines long, and it's an arrow function.
1: That doesn't fit my description of short. Yeah. Okay. I got to figure out how to I put think it back. I think that's overzealous. <laughs> I, I would I would quibble with that coding style. Okay. Okay. So let us start. Um, Okay, so in order to show arrow functions in action, we need to have a function that takes a function as an argument, because you only ever use arrow functions as anonymous functions. So in order to play along either in the browser console or in the node console, I'm going to make a function called runFn. That's just going to take two arguments, a function and a list of arguments to pass to the function. It's going to run whatever you pass it with the arguments you pass it and console.log the output. Okay. So this is literally just a function to run functions so that we can see arrow functions in action. It's just a wrapper. So copy and paste that into your console first, and then we can do the other examples. So I'm going to start with the full or long syntax for arrow functions. And I use that word very reservedly. Because the actual syntax is inside parameters, the list, sorry, inside parentheses, the list of arguments you need, then equal sign angle bracket, followed by a code block for the actual body of your function. So n open parens, n comma x, close parens is saying my arrow function will take two arguments. I am naming the first argument n and the second argument x. Then I'm saying arrow. And then the code for the function, which in this case is return math.pow n comma x. In other words, my arrow function is going to raise the first argument to the power of the second argument.
0: Okay.
1: So inside our... The the first first argument was supposed to be a function. No, no. Okay. The first argument of the arrow function is named n, when we're going to use... Run Fn is getting as its argument as its first argument an arrow function. Oh. It is getting as its second argument the array oh. two comma three. Oh sorry. Sorry.
0: Got you. Okay, I see it now. Yeah.
1: The arrow function takes two arguments, which it is naming n and x, and it will call math.pow n comma x. Okay. So when run function runs, it's gonna take that that arrow function and it's gonna pass it two comma three, which means it should give out eight as the output.
0: It did. Okay.
1: Brilliant. So, the syntax is parentheses around your list of arguments, arrow, a code block, right? Parentheses, arrow, code block. Now, if you All right, so Okay, so in the show notes I've called out explicitly, the arrow function is only that small part, right, the parentheses, arrow, code block, right? Okay. The rest of that is just for us to run the function, right? The actual arrow function is just that short bit, just just to be clear on that. Okay. So if our function takes um is one line long, if if we have a, a, a Okay, sorry, I'm reading my own show notes. The parens list of arguments can be empty, right? Oh. Your function your arrow function doesn't need arguments. Just like you can write a normal function with arguments, you can write an arrow function with arguments. So the following, if you know, so our run fn, we can just call it with the arrow function open close parens, arrow, open curly bracket, return the string pancakes plus maple, (laughs) um, which is a function to print out some tasty food. Um, And then we end our arrow function. So the entire arrow function is now an empty set of parens followed by curly braces that contain the single line return and a string.
0: Okay, so this is a a new example of where you're just saying you don't have to have a function that has uh, any parameters or or, uh, inputs or arguments, whatever you're calling them. So it's just open, close parentheses, arrow,
1: code block. Correct. Okay. Now, if your function, if your arrow function has exactly one line, then the curly braces and the return statement can be omitted and it will return whatever the value is that it gets after the arrow. So you can literally say open parens, close parens, arrow, the string you want to return. And that is entirely equivalent to saying open squarely, return space the string close curly. Huh. So you could just leave out the curly's and the word return. Okay. So you can see how short the syntax is getting. It's already pretty darn concise. There is one more bit of concision. I don't know if that's a word, but it is now. Uh, <laughs> there's one more piece of concision that is available to us. It is very, very common to have arrow functions that take exactly one argument. Because what you're basically saying is take a thing and do a thing to it. Okay. That's something you will often want to say. If the function takes exactly one argument, you can leave the parens <laughs> off as well. So you just say name of argument arrow what you want to return. So the, the honest-to-goodness fully correct arrow function to cube a number is n space equal sign space carrot space n star n star n. Well, except for no that space is a,
0: between the equal and the, and the uh, greater than symbol,
1: but right. I don't think I... I think I said n space equal the carrot. Anyway, so n arrow n star n star n. So That is a complete arrow function.
0: Isn't that the same as n equals... N times n times n, n becomes, n times n times
1: n, so it could be even shorter. Okay, but if you write if you write n becomes, then that happens instantly. Yeah. You are trying to pass some code to do later. When you click do this. When the timeout ends, do this. Yeah. If you just write n becomes equal to n star n, that's not a function.
0: Oh, so that would have to be wrapped in a function in order to be called. But this does it without that. Okay, okay. That's,
1: right, that's I mean, good. the whole point yeah. is, we're trying to write some code, right? The whole point of a function is code you run later. Yeah. So, right, that is, believe it or not, that is, that is, that is a valid arrow function. So if we rewind the clock all the way back, that n arrow n star n star n is entirely equivalent to open parens n close parens arrow open curly brace return space n star n star n closer curly Mm -hmm. right which is entirely equivalent to the anonymous function function open curly n sorry open parens close parens n open curly return n star n star n closer curly so right. I like so the way the you old, did that so you old,
0: started you started with a long arrow function got us all the way down to the the smallest arrow function you could do and then you just brought it back out to an anonymous function with full yeah. syntax to show these are all the same thing.
1: Yeah. So that that is that is arrow functions and honestly the only thing you can do is practice the syntax because the fact that lots of stuff is optional if you're writing your own arrow functions it's fine because you're not going to take any shortcuts you're not familiar with other people's arrow functions Mm. They are painful because they may know a lot more of the shortcuts than you do. And then you end up with code that just looks like someone vomited on the keyboard. <laughs> so anyway, the last thing I want to talk about today briefly is just a reminder of function chaining. This is this is an idea where you can have, you know, call some function dot call some function dot call some function dot call some function. And we've seen an awful lot of this in our Node.js days. We have function after function after function. So I'm going to use an example, and then I'm going to walk you through how you read them. So new date, inside parentheses, dot to string, dot to lowercase, dot replace, the regular expression space, uh, with a dash. Okay. So that is one... Two, three function calls: a function named to string, a function named to lowercase, and a function named replace.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But w- what functions, right? And the way you always read a function chain is from left to right. And what always, always matters is the return value. So you start evaluating this by going, well, what does new date do? New date makes a date object. So in your mind, you're now saying, my data, I have a date object, and I'm calling to string on the date object. Right. Right. So it's the date classes to string. Uh You don't have to go read the documentation to know that the date classes to string is going to return a string. Right. So now we're left with a string and on that string, we're calling to lowercase. So it's now the string classes to lowercase function, Mm -hmm. which returns a string. So again, we're left with a string. string. A lowercase string, Uh correct. So it's a new string where all the letters have been lowercased. And so now we're left with that string and now we're calling dot replace on that string. So again, it's the string classes replace function, which will replace the spaces with dashes. Okay. And so the end output is going to be a date with all the spaces replaced with dashes. So on my computer, it was Monday dash Jan dash 10 dash 2022 dash blah, blah, blah. So the key point to remember is always know what it is you have. I started with a date. So the two string function is from the date class. Then I have a string. So the two lower cases from the string class. That still gives me a string, so the replace function is also from the string class. That's a really good
0: example. That's really clear how, how function chaining works. Excellent. And we need to know that because when we get into Jest, we're going to have to start explaining that?
1: Well, we're go- Jest uses function chaining. A lot of things okay. use function chaining, right? Okay. Um, Q- uh, sorry, jQuery function chained up the Azure. Okay. Um, so... that syntax, something dot something dot something dot something, you're going to start seeing a lot when we move into Jest, so it's just good to remind ourselves that that is what function chaining is, that's what it's called, and that's what it does so I am going to draw a line under it here for this time and say that next time we're going to learn two novel ways of using the Lego bricks we already have to do fun stuff so Technically speaking, and we're going to learn nothing new, except for the fact that it's going to look completely new. <laughs> okay, I trust you. So it's not new JavaScript. It's a new way to use JavaScript to write code in a different style. Huh? And the end result is that you end up with code, or you can end up, if you do it well, with code that reads more like English. So it's more self-documenting. So it's huh. easier to understand what's going on and Jess uses this style of programming heavily to give you clear test suites and so we need to learn it right right so that will be next time okay uh, I believe this is the point point. I'm really glad
0: we spent the time up front because I could have never gotten there on the parts I was stuck on this uh this makes sense to me what I think this is going to be most valuable for is this is now a very valuable reference page Because you've got so much covered there that when I'm going, okay,
1: wait, which one is this? I can go back to this page. Perfect. Excellent. Well, I think this is the point where I wish everyone happy computing until we speak again in about two weeks' time. So uh, until then, happy computing. If you
0: learn as much from Bart each week as I do, I'd like you to go over to lets-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him. He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon, you can donate via PayPal, or you can use one of his referral links. I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at Podfeet or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeet.com. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.